Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. It is great to be here with you. It's great to have you here with me tonight. I'm going to mute everybody just for a clean background. At any point, you can unmute and jump right into the conversation. So let's, let's take a running start. Um, so first of all, I want to, um, I hope that everyone had a, a good holiday, a happy Shavuot, um, which of course is the, the festival that celebrates Torah. And what better way to follow up the uh, celebration of uh, receiving the Torah again than with, um, with Torah study. So 3,333 years ago, we received the Torah at Sinai. Um, we, re- we re-accepted it this year, a few days ago. And so what better way to follow it up with, um, with, um, with studying some Torah. So I have in my hands a peach. You guys see this? This is a peach. Some of you may know that I have a peach tree in front of my house, which is rapidly growing peaches. So, producing ripe peaches. If anybody wants a peach, you can always swing by. And mom, I'll see if I can hook you up with some of those. Definitely, would love to. Sorry? So there's a magnetic thing. You just pull uh, on the right side. There's a magnetic thing. You just pick it up and boom, you're in. Oh, is that the secret? Ah, it's not secret. I mean, whatever. All right, yeah. So there's always, there you go. Um, But we, I think, uh, um, uh, Leigh and the kids picked some peaches tonight and maybe even left some outside in bags. They might be gone. But anyway, just so you know, if you ever want to stop by for some peaches, you can let me know. We can make sure to hook you up with that. Okay, so... They, call it, they don't call it the peach state for nothing. Ask my kids to bring me a peach. This one's a little bit small, but there were some really big ones that we had there tonight. Let's jump into... Do they come out once or do they, re, or do they re-harvest? Every year. No, oh, but I mean, during the harvest season. It's just one and done. It's just one and done. I'm by no means an expert in trees and fruit, but this tree, it grows. I mean, there's upwards, like, there's hundreds of peaches on this tree, but once they're picked, that's it. Till next year. Did they Sorry? Did they taste I don't know. I haven't tried it. I think the kids tried it before. I saw, I saw a sliced one before. I personally didn't have it. Um, but I'm sure they're good. I've had them in the past. I had a peach tree in front of my old house. It was called Peach Tree Battle. There you go. Oh, you see that? And basically what was happening there is there were two trees that were vying for position and hence the battle for the peach tree. Okay, good. So let's jump in. So today's conversation is all about singing. It's all about music and it's all about singing. It's all about Levites and choirs and musical instruments and soloists and vocalists. So let's talk about music. I I sent that an email not that long ago and the title was Sing Us a Song you're the Levite man. I didn't write that part of it, but that's kind of how that would have played out if I would have finished that sentence. So what we're going to do tonight is look at the Avodat Halavim, the service of the Levites, and in the process, we're going to explore the Jewish notion of music, and the big payoff is going to be the Jewish understanding of the value of time. So we're going to go from Levites to music to time. All right? And hopefully that will make sense by the end of today's class and you will understand what I'm talking about. All right, let's jump in. Um, I'm going to show my screen in a moment. We'll read some text together. 
Just very quick introduction. So last week's Torah portion, we began the book of Numbers by Midbar. It's called the book of Numbers, even in Hebrew, Chumash HaPikudim, book of counting. There's a census taken of the general Jewish populace. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a exclu- there's an exclusive census taken of Levites. And then there's another exclusive census taken of the Levites. There are two Levite censuses. Sensei? Sensos? There's two censuses that take place. One, all Levite males 30 days and up. And another, all Levite males 30 years old to, 30 to, to 50 years old. So it's 30 days up. That's one count. And a second count is 30 to 50 years old. Yes, I At, have a question. Yes. You know, I was listening to um, Labor Wolf, um, you know, Parsha, and he said that a lot of um, Jews were killed because of the golden calf, and that's why there was a counting, and I never knew that. Is that so? That is so. That is so. There were Jews that were killed that were punished by death, those that were directly involved in the manufacturing and direct worship of the golden calf, many lost their lives. And that's one of the rationales for why there was this count. There was a count that had been done before. This was the post golden calf um, count. Yes, that is accurate. Yeah. So, but that was the general populace. Remember the Levites didn't partake in that, in those shenanigans. They were the one tribe that didn't get involved at all in uh, any golden calf horror dancing. So that is, so they were, and they were counted twice, 30 days up, which we spoke about last week, by the way, if you recall, 30 days count, that's what we spoke about last week, and then 30 years to 50 years, which we'll speak about a little bit more tonight. Um, At the end of last week's Torah portion, we read about the family of Kahat and how they were counted 30 years old to 50 years old. There are three Levite families, Kahat, Gershon, and Merari. Kahat, Gershon, and Merari, each one had a different role. They had different jobs in the tabernacle in the Mishkan. They carried different items. They transported different things. They set up and organized different parts of the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. They're counted separately. Three, tri- three Levite families are each counted separately, both 30 days and up, but in our context now, 30 to 50 years old. So let's jump in. Without further ado, let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with ya. And we are ready to get this party started. Although, I don't exactly know where we're up to in the screen. Okay, here we go. Perfect. Good, 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 good. All right, let's get this started. Ray, if you're up to it, please read text number one. Um, Yeah, take it away. Don't forget to unmute. Hold on, you're still muted. There you go. Okay. Yep, we got you. Uh, the following is the service of the sons of Kahoot in the tent of meeting of the Holy of Holies. Aaron and his sons shall finish covering the Holy and all the vessels of the Holy when the camp is set to travel. And following that, the sons of Kahat shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch the sacred objects, for they will die. These are the burdens of the sons of Kahat 
for the tent of meeting. This is the service of the Gershonite families to serve and to carry. They shall carry the curtains of the Mishkan and the tent of the meeting. Uh, it's covering and the tachash skin, covering overlaid upon it, and the screen for the entrance to the tent of meeting. The hangings of the courtyard, the screen of the entrance of the gate of the courtyard, which is around the Mishkan and the altar, their ropes, all the work involved and everything that is made for them, and th thus shall they serve. As the final, as for the sons of Merari, uh, you shall count them by their families according to their father's houses. This is the charge of their burden for all their service in the tent of meeting. The planks of the Mishkan, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The pillars of the surrounding courtyard, their sockets, their pegs, and their ropes, all their implements for all the work involved. You shall designate by name the implements charged to them for their burden. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari for all their service in the tent of meeting, which was under the supervision of Itamar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. Perfect. Thank you. So I want to summarize what Ray just read from the Torah, which is there were three Levite families and there were three primary roles. Each family had a different role. So what was the role of the Kahat family? Again, that's how Kahat is spelled here in this translation. What was the role of the Kahat family? They carried the sacred objects. They carried the ark. They carried the menorah. They carried the table. They carried the altars. They did the sacred objects. What about the Gershonite family? What about the Gershon? So we had Kahat. What about Gershon? The Gershonites. They carry the curtains, the tapestries, the covers, the, um, the, the, the dividing curtains, the screens. They carried all of the textiles. So we have Kahat. Again, just to review, Kahat carried the sacred objects, including the Ark, etc. And the family of Gershon, they carried the curtains and the tapestries and the... Um, the textiles. And what about Merari, the third and final Levite family? Well, they had the walls, the planks, the bars. That means like the bars were not, uh, not uh, bars, right? But the bars were um, poles that were serving as supports through the L'chaim uh, Chazen, right? So the bars were the, the supports, the pillars and the sockets. So they did the structure of the Mishkan. Again, three, very simple. Three Levite families, three roles. Kahat, the sacred objects. Gershon, the tapestries. Merari, the walls. That's it. Now... It, oh, good question. Good question. At the end of last week's Torah portion, add a one wrinkle. This was a summary. It was the uh, edited version of it to make it shorter. Basically, the Torah says that the objects, like the ark, the menorah, the altars, should be wrapped in double coverings, different animal skins as well as claw, um, uh, fabric coverings or uh, wool coverings, so that the Levites would not directly be touching the item. Excellent question. 
So the, the Kohanim, the priests, wrapped it, and then the Levites, I'm going to use a word that's not so nice, they schlepped it. I don't mean schlepping in a, in a derogatory way, but they, they transported it. So that's it. What but yeah. chapter and verse are we on? Sorry to interrupt. Can you give us our chapter and verse? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Um, see, text one was picking and choosing from a bunch of different ones, anywhere from 4.4 all the way to 4.33. So basically chapter four of Bamidbar, Parak Dalid, and then it's just like selections all the way through. So basically you have three different families. So the Levite tribe has three families and each family had their thing. But now, but here's the punchline, because this is all the setup. What's the punchline? Not a joke, but the punchline is that the Levites, this was only one role that they had. Schlepping, transporting, setting up, breaking down, right? Moving and shaking. That was only one job of two. What was the second job? I already said it to you before. The second job of the Levites was to sing music. They sang, they played instruments. That was their second job. How do we know this? How do we know this? Take a look at the Talmud. The Talmud gives us a scriptural, a biblical inference, a source from the Torah that speaks to the musical role of the Levites. Okay, so again, we just, I just, just to make sure we're clear what I'm doing here, we just read, text one was about their carrying the physical labor of the Levites. Their second job, they had two jobs, their second job was to provide the musical accompaniment to the service. Where do we see this? How do we know this? Take a look-see as I bring up my screen once again, and this is going to be text two from the Talmud. Adina Malka, if you don't mind, take it away, please, from the Talmud. Okay, wait. Um, Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, what is the scriptural basis for the requirement to accompany offerings with song? Rabbi Yochanan said it is derived from the verse that states, everyone who entered in to do the work of service. What is work that must be performed in conjunction with another service? You must say that it is song. It doesn't really work, thank you. It doesn't really work in the English. Uh, to do the work of service, I don't know. Three, do, work, and service are three different words. But in the Hebrew, if you can read the Hebrew, oh, by the way, if, you would like to read the Hebrew even better, join us Monday night for the Hebrew course. That's starting next week, Monday night, our five-week <coughs> course on Hebrew reading. But if you look at the Hebrew, it's la'avod, avodat, whoa, what happened there? La'avod, avodat, avodah. It's like the, the same word three times. La'avod, to work, avodat, the work of, avodah, of work. It's the, the Levi, this was about the Levites. The Levites, the, what, who, what were the Levites chosen for? To work the work of the work. Now, in English, they did to do the work of service. Yeah, but you know what? That doesn't mean anything either. So, well, I don't know. They just use different words, so it doesn't sound so redundant. But it literally means to, to do the work of the work for the work. So the Talmud says, what work is the work that goes along with the other work? I hope that makes sense. I'm going to stop sharing. The Talmud asked rhetorically, what is the, what job is, what work is the work that goes along with other work? 
the singing. The singing was a task, was a work that went along with the other work, the work of the sacrificial service. Does that make sense? That's how the Talmud derives this idea that the Levim, the Levites would sing, they would sing, right? How do we know this? Because it says that their job was to do the work for the other work. And, right, their job, their work was to do the work for the work. What's the work for the work? It's the singing that accompanies the avodah, the sacrificial service. So, in short, that's how we know it. But even if that's a little complicated, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, if you were a Levite in ancient times, you had two jobs, especially when there was a, um, a traveling sanctuary in the times of Moses and, and thereafter for the next few hundred years, you, if you were a Levite, you had two tasks in life or, or in your Levite service. Number one, you help transport, break down, set up, carry the Mishkan, the portable sanctuary. That's number one. Number two, you would sing to accompany exactly. Singing is hard work. Yes, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Chazen Ben, for pointing that out. That's, very, that's actually going to be a major piece of tonight's lesson is about the, the challenge, the difficulty, and the skill of the avodah of singing, which we'll get to in a moment. But again, they had two tasks. One was to carry the tabernacle, and the other was to sing while the service was going on as an accompaniment. Now, what's very important is... Did they sing as they slept? No. Oh, good one. Whistle while we work. I don't remember the rest of the tune. Right, so I have another insight along those lines that I wanted to share at the end of the class. So remind me your question if I don't mention it by the end of the class. But here's what I want to point out. Rambam, Maimonides, talks about how they would accompany with music. All right, so I'm going to ask... Let me, let me share my screen with y'all, all y'all, actually, because I think this is going to be an all y'all screen share. Take a look at, so Donna Bogatin, please read text number three. This is, sorry, I keep on going up and down. Sorry if anybody's getting vertigo here. Maimonides, Mishneh Torah, Laws of Clay Mikdash. This is Rambam in his book of Halacha. This is how he describes the Levite musical responsibility, Donna. The descendants of Levi were singled out for service in the sanctuary. Their service was to be singers who would accompany the sacrifices, sacrifices with song each day. When were songs recited? At the time that all the communal burnt offerings were brought, when the peace offerings brought on Shavuos, and when the wine libations were brought. There should never be fewer than 12 Levites standing on the dukan each day to recite the songs over the sacrifices, and their number could be increased without end. Let me just jump in for a second. The Dukhan is the platform. There was a platform that they would stand up on to project their, kind of like a stage for singers, the stage for the Levites and their musical accompaniment. So basically, Halacha, the Jewish law says that there had to be no fewer than 12 Levites to sing songs while the sacrifices were going. And you could have more than 12. In other words, there's no max. You could have 1,200. But you had to have at least 12 Levites at all times singing, accompanying the sacrifices. Continue, please. The songs were sung vocally without musical instruments. 
for the fundamental dimension of the song is vocalization. Other Levites would stand on the dukan and play melodies with musical instruments. On what instruments would they play? On lyres, flutes, harps, trumpets, and a cymbal. There should not be fewer than two lyres, no more than six. There should not be fewer than two flutes, no more than twelve. There should not be fewer than two trumpets, no more than one hundred and twenty. There should not be fewer than nine harps, and there is no upper limit. It should only be one symbol. Hey, let's not get crazy with the symbols here, right? One symbol and that's it. One dude, that's it. Only one symbol, but you can have other instruments, the minimum, the maximum, all right, which we just read. So interesting. Bottom line is the main role of the Levites was to sing the songs, and they sung vocally without musical instruments. In other words, the singers just sang. And then there were other Levites who would also accompany the singing by playing melodies with musical instruments. So you actually had both. You had vocalists and you had, um, I don't know what you would call them. You had vocalists and musicians. And musicians. Yeah. There you go. I was looking for an ists, vocalists and something ists, but I guess musician is. But the, so, the, so that was, uh, th those are the two roles. And the, the Levites, they went to town. That's what they did. Now, hold on one second. Very important. Slow it down. You know, when the temple was built in Jerusalem, right? Work with me here. When the temple was built in Jerusalem, it was built of stone. Gold and stone. Were the Levites schlepping? No. There was no schlepping anymore, right? The, that, that role of the Levites was, was, was finished. That role was a limited time only role while the Mishkan the, was a portable sanctuary that they would transport. So the Levites had that role. When it became a permanent structure, the Levites pretty much had one role, which was the musical role. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So originally they had two roles, but it kind of morphed into one role as history kind of plays out and does its thing. Now we need to ask the question. All this is setting up a question. All of this is setting up a questionis. And the question is going to be highlighted by the following biblical text, text numeral four. Okay, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Numero cuatro. Rosita, am I getting this correct? Yes? Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Yaakov. We are letting you in. My bad. I wasn't paying attention to the request to get it. Okay, um, yeah, so numero cuatro, uh, text number four. I don't know how to say text in Spanish. Texto? Texto? That was so easy. Look at this. I, I'm, I, I'm a natural. <laughs> Texto cuatro. I sound like an American. Texto cuatro. But anyway, nonetheless, let's, uh, let's jump in. Um, I am going to, you know what, Rosita, if we're already having a schmooze, so might as well, if you don't mind, to please read text number four, which now talks about the census of said Levites. Rosita, please take it away. Okay. All the numbers who by Moses, Aaron, and the chieftains? Chieftains. Chieftains of Israel were counted. The Levites, according to their families and their father's houses, from the age of 30 years and upward until the age of 50 years, who are fit to perform the service for the service and the work of caring in the tent of meeting. Their, their tally, 8,580. As directed by, uh, they were appointed by Moses, each man to his service and his burden. They were counted as God had commanded Moses. Perfect. So what we see over here is that Moshe, Aaron, Moses, Aaron, and the, and the, and the heads of the tribes, they counted the Levites from which age? 
30 years to 50 years. So basically a 20-year span, they were counted 30 years old to 50 years old, and the total number of Levites amongst all three families, Kahat, Gershom, Merari, etc., the total was 8,580 8, Levites between the ages of 30 and 50 amongst all three of those Levite families. These were the Levites that were eligible for the Levite service. Now, why were they eligible for the service only from 30 to 50? That seems like a very narrow, you're, you're, is anybody wondering this? Like what seems like such a narrow slice of, of time, 30 to 50, what's up with that? So take a look at Rashi. Rashi has an explanation. Rashi's not gonna leave us high and dry. He wouldn't do that. Steve, Steve Horowitz, please read, if you don't mind, text number five. Rashi is going to explain why they were counted from 30 to 50. Count those among them who are fit for the service of caring and are from the age of 30 until the age of 50. One under 30 has not reached the peak of his strength. From this, our sages said, at 30 for full strength. Over the age of 50, one strength begins to wane. So Rashi says, quoting our sages, says, Ben Shloshim Lekoach. When a person turns 30, they become strong. And when a person hits 50 or past 50, the strength begins to decline a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not strong before 30 or not strong after 50. It just means that peak strength, typically, according to these Jewish texts, according to our tradition, peak strength is typically between 30 and 50. Now, you might say, well, are you kidding me? I mean, look at sports. Like, when people hit 30, 35, it's like they're done, right? Well... Tom Brady, I don't know, dude's like 40-something and he's winning Super Bowls left and right. So look, maybe there's something to it. But without getting into details of athletics, and because that brings all other dimensions into it, other dimensions into it, the bottom line is that why were the Levites um, counted and selected from 30 years old to 50 years old? Because that is when they were of able-bodied strength. And now I'm going to ask my question because they were counted and they were appointed from 30 to 50 for not just carrying the Mishkan, but also for which role? To exclude them from the carrying? No, no, no. Well, also, but also for singing, right? Good, Chazan. Because 30 to 50 is... For most people, the prime vocals. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. One second, one second. Hold on. Hold that thought. One second, one second. Hold that thought. But let, let's first establish it. I'll ask a question, and then we're going to jump to, we're going to include what you're saying in a second. So here's the thing. The Torah says you count the Levites for their appointed service. You count them from 30 to 50 years old. And Rashi explains why 30 to 50, because that's peak strength. So here, let me ask it as a question first. So the question is going to be, that makes sense for one of the Levite roles, right? The, Levite, the Levites had two roles. Hey, Dr. Maxi, good to see you, welcome. So the Levites had two roles. One was schlepping, one was singing. So you wanna tell me that for schlepping purposes, and I say that with all respect, you know, it's a holy, it's a holy tabernacle and, and all, but for the schlepping purposes, they needed to have that peak strength 30 to 50 years old. But my question is going to be now, notwithstanding what Chazim Ben just said, my question is going to be, but why did they need to be 30 to 50 for the singing? Couldn't they sing 
Under, 50, under 30 or over 50? In other words, if you tell me that for the carrying of the Mishkan, they needed to be 30 to 50 peak strength, okay, mask him, I agree. But they also had a role of singing. And when the temple came, the holy temple was built in Jerusalem, the primary role of the Levites was singing because there was nothing to carry because it was a physical structure that, well, until it was destroyed, wasn't going anywhere. So they, didn't, they weren't carrying anything. So why did they have to be strong, pumping iron, 30 to 50? They could have sung at 25, at 20, at 18. They could have sang at, at 60. What's the issue here with the singing? Why such a narrow, why such a narrow um, focus? Now take a look. This is not just my question. Responsibility. Oh, I like that. Good. Responsibility. I like it. So you're saying number one, well, you said two things. Tell you, I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but it's a it's an experience, a life experience that I had. That when I was 17 years old, I was supposed to daven Musa on high holy days for an Orthodox shul, and they uh, we had a haskama, we had an agreement already. The rabbi was in Israel when the ritual committee uh, uh, offered this deal to me, and he comes back from Israel and he said he's too young. He doesn't know what responsibility wow. is yet, and he can't be the the he cannot be the shliach tzibur for Musaf because he's he hasn't had life experience enough to understand the severity of this holy work. Okay, Chazan Ben, I would let you steer. The end of the story, but. Anyway, that's part of it, I'm sure. Okay. I'm with you. But I, I'll say this. You can, you can steer our ship anytime you want. We, we, we have full faith. We have full faith in you. But no, I hear you. That's a good point. But, so, but let's, let's first establish a question. And I want to cite, we're going to go three classic answers that maybe touch on some of what you said. You said, number one, even vocally, those are the peak years. You also said about responsibility and kind of maturity, I guess, that also comes with it. Take a look at how the question is articulated, though, by Ramban, Nachmanides, because this is not just my question. This is actually a classic question asked by Rishonim, by early Jewish commentaries. And I share my screen with you right now. 6a, take a look at what Ramban says. And let's ask... Um, Donna, Donna Herbert, please read text number 6A from Nachmanides. Why weren't the younger 20-year-old Levites appointed for singing roles until they were older? Why was the Levite count limited only to those ages 30 to 50 and capable of the more physically demanding role of carrying the Mishkan? Right, if the Levites had two roles, why only count them for the physical part of it, which is 30 to 50, they could sing younger. Again, this is, this, we're still in the question stage. So why, why not even count them from 20 years old for the singing? So Donna, if you don't mind, please continue to read text 6B. And here we have our first, we're gonna have three answers, three answers in total. Here's answer number one from the very same Nachmanides. Ramban asks the question and he gives an answer. Take a look at the answer. Inasmuch as those who transported the Iran could only be from ages 30 to 50. Anyone outside that age wasn't appointed for the singing role either. After all, singing was the primary service of the Levites in the temple. So anyone who was appointed to sing would have to be able to participate in every other role as well. 
Now, inasmuch as the family of Kahat was only counted from ages 30 to 50, even those appointed just for singing were counted at that age as well, so as not to lead to a reality in which the families of Gershon and Merari could serve at a certain age that the Kahat family could not. It's a bit of a, I hope, I hope that made sense. It's a bit of an elaborate, not elaborate, but a little bit of an intricate answer that he gives. He basically goes kind of backwards from the family of Kahat. So he said, look, he said, the family of Kahat, they were the ones that carried the items, the objects, the holy objects of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, including the Aron, which is the holy ark, the ark of the covenant. Now, carrying the ark, you had to be, he doesn't explain why, at least in this excerpt, why it had to be between 30 and 50. My assumption is either it was heavy and they had to be that peak strength, or maybe it was holy, like Chazim Ben said, and you had to have a certain level of maturity, 30 to 50, but I think it had to do with strength. So what his point is, look, you didn't want to, we didn't want to appoint um, Levites, Kahat, Kahatites, people from the family of Kahat, at 20 years old to sing because if they were appointed for singing, they might have said, oh, if I can sing, then I can also step in and carry the ark. But they weren't able to carry the ark. So you didn't want to mislead anybody. So you only appointed, any role was only appointed from 30 to 50 so as not to cause confusion. And once that was the case with the ark and the family of Kahat, we didn't want to make a distinction for the other families that maybe weren't carrying as heavy items or as holy items because the ark was, of course, was the holiest point with the ta- with the tablets inside and the Torah and everything. So, so maybe the other stuff would have been a little bit more leeway, but we didn't want to confuse anything. So again, since the ark could only be carried by those Levites, Kahat Levites, from 30 to 50, so the singers of Kahat were also only appointed 30 to 50, so as to avoid confusion. And once Kahat was 30 to 50, everybody's 30 to 50. That's one answer brought by Ramban. Again, it's a little bit intricate, and it seems like a little bit because of this, then that, and because of that, then that, and that's literally what he's saying. Nonetheless, that's what he's saying. So again, our question, what's the question and answer? The question is, I understand why the carrying needs to be 30 to 50 years old, but why the singing? And he answers because, essentially because we don't want to confuse anybody, right? Who wants to be confused? You have singers one age, schleppers and carriers another age, it's too confusing. We're going to make one, one age, one cutoff, one starting point, and that's it. That's one answer. Okay, it is what it is. I want to give you another answer that I, that, that, that I think is, is an interesting answer. Um, and it aligns with what Chazen Ben said before. said before. Take a look, Dr. Max, if you don't mind, to unmute and please read. Please read text number seven. So ask me, Shmuel, the son of David in Shoham, why were Levites from 50 and older not allowed to sing in the temple? I will tell you, from age 50 and on, people develop bile that floods the airways and disturbs the voice from emerging crisp and clear, lending to a more raspy and heavy voice. As such, these senior Levites did not sing in the temple. Well, there you go. The Moshe of Zikanim. It's interesting, Moshe of Zikanim. That's the name of this, uh, of this commentary. But Moshe of Zikanim also could mean an old age, an el- 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 elderly home. Nonetheless, he actually speaks about the elderly. Well, I don't know, elderly, 50 and up. I'm sorry, I don't mean elderly. But he says like this. That I'm, I'm getting close, by the way. He says 50 and up. 
Um, already, there's stuff that enters the airways, disturbs the voice. So look, it, it makes the voice more raspy and heavy. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're go if you're going for the mobsters, the mobster voice, hey, uh, right, then it's perfect. It's perfect. But if you're looking to for Levite singing, then we want to cap it at 50. And I guess the implication would be the other way around also. Under 30, maybe the voice is a little too high or a little bit too this. Ich But that would be the implication. In other words, his answer is, why is the singing also 30 to 50? Because, as Chazen Ben said, the fir his first explanation is, that is peak singing performance and ability as well. So 30 to 50, according to this answer, is not just the sweet spot for carrying it's also the, the, ta the tabernacle, it's also the sweet spot for singing in the temple. So that's a simple answer, right? Why 30 to 50? Because that's the best way to do it. Now, hold on, I see a comment coming in, but let, let's get to the third answer because I love this answer. And the third answer is going to be completely different. This is the Rebbe's answer. Now, I, it, the, this answer is going to sound like it's coming from nowhere, you know, out of nowhere. It's just a random answer, but you should know this is the, the end result of, of incredible scriptural and, and, and commentarial, that's not a word, analysis by the Rebbe. The Rebbe analyzes psuk and verses as well as various commentaries, especially Rashi. And the Rebbe, I'm going to tell it to you outside first, and then we're going to read it inside. The Rebbe offers another answer. You ready for this? The Rebbe's daring answer is that the Levites were actually able to sing under the age of 30 and over the age of 50. It was only the instruments that they weren't allowed to play, be, that they weren't allowed to play unless they were between 30 and 50. Why? Because the instruments require a precision of the hands. And the idea is that under 30, maybe it's not trained enough, and over 50 already, the hands are going to get a little bit whether it's arthritic or whether it's shape, whatever it is, the hands are not going to be as fresh as they need to be for the precision of the instrument playing above 50 or under 30. That is the Rebbe's daring take on this, again, based on various commentaries, which we're not going to go through the process, but the end result is, he says, there's a difference between the singing and the instrument playing. When were the Levites limited to 30 and 50? It was only for the instrument playing. But for the vocals, it could be even below 30 or above 50. Let me share this with y'all right now. Text number eight. This is coming from the Rebbe, Lekutei Sichot, volume 18, as you see right there. And let's ask Paul. Paul, jump in, please, to read text number eight. The type of music discussed here is one that demands much physical strength, namely, Music with symbols and lyres, a musical exercise that requires intensely disciplined hand movement. By contrast, simply singing vocally doesn't demand as much strain. Taking into account that traditional sources indicated that the cap of 50 years is for the music of symbols and lyres, we are compelled to say that when Rashi indicates that the Levite can stay on and sing even after 50, it is only in the narrow role of vocals. According to the plain meaning of the verse, music with symbols and lyres was reserved exclusively for those ages 30 to 50. The reason is simple. After 50, 
a person's strength begins to decline, and handling those instruments can be challenging. As such, we have every reason to assume that this distinction carried on in temple times, namely, that for all time, 50 was the age cap for a Levite to play such instruments. Thank you. So the Rebbe derives it from Rashi and other commentaries that indeed, with regard to the Levites, the, really the premise of our conversation today is a little bit, according to the Rebbe, is a little bit mistaken. So what was the case, according to the Rebbe's understanding, that the Levites... So their caring role was 30 to 50. Their singing, their instrumental role, um, instrumental, no, that could mean something else. Their playing instruments was also 30 to 50, but their singing was younger or older than, uh, younger than 30, over than over 50. As long as they were able to, they could. Now, I, I, you know, the Rebbe said that playing instruments is more taxing than, than, than singing. And one might say, hold on one second, singing is, singing is difficult. But I think my understanding of this, um, by looking at the, at the words precisely, is more of like a mecha the mechanics, the physical mechanics, can perhaps wear down, um, especially if one is playing consistently an instrument, the mechanics can wear down a little bit faster than the vocals. The vocals can be adjusted, it can still sound beautiful, Again, this is a different answer than the other answers. This is a different approach. The Rebbe's approach is unique. The Rebbe says, essentially, that the, that the vocals can still be beautiful after 50, but the concern is that the musical instrument, the, 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 the instrumental playing might be degraded, might, might take a hit after 50. So thus, to be safe, that was the, the cap on it. Now, where do we see this? Where do we see this in other sources that we were concerned about the Levites' physical, um, what, what do they call it? The, not the mechanics, but the physical, oh, motor, the motor skills deteriorating to the point where it won't, well, I mean. De dexterity. Dexterity, right, taking a hit or at least being reduced a little bit. Say it again. Agility. Agility, dexterity, etc. Where do we see this? I'm going to share with you another text. This is really beautiful. This is like almost a proof text of what the Rebbe is saying. Um, Take a look at text number nine. This comes from the Chizkuni. I'm going to read this one. So the Chizkuni, which is a classic commentary. You see, he lived 12, in, the, in the 13th century. He writes like this. What is the reason? He asks, again, unrelated question. He says, what is the reason for the scriptural injunction that the Levites shall not have any, shall have no portion of the land? We know the Torah tells us that the Levites were not, were not allowed to own land. No farms, no, no, no property. They, they were given cities, and, but they couldn't, they couldn't be farmers. Why not? Listen to this, Chizkuni. It was so that they wouldn't have to engage in any physical labor, focusing exclusively on the holy work in the temple. Why? Because we wouldn't want their hands to grow accustomed to physical labor, causing the fingers to grow thick and coarse, disabling them from nimbly bending to the demands of the flute and the lyre and ruining the music. Listen to this vart. It's unbelievable. The Chizkuni says, typically you and I think that why weren't they supposed to be farmers also on the side? Because it's mundane. So they're supposed to be holy, so no farming for you. You have to be holy. The Chizkuni is so pragmatic. He says, you know why they they weren't supposed to be farmers because their hands would not be able to play the instruments as well. And based on this, or, or I don't know, based on this, but along these lines, the Rebbe is saying as well, and, and we, halacha judge, the Torah judges, or according to Rashi, we say that, look, after 50, after having placed, um, apprenticed and, and practiced, and then served 20 years, Right, 20, so obviously they didn't learn how to play at age 30. They learned how to play from a young age till 30. But then they were 
playing concerts in the temple every single day for 20 years. After 20 years of concerts, the understanding is the hands may not be as, as, as dexterous as they used to be, and thus, thanks mom again for the word, and thus they should, they should retire and move on to other things like singing. That's basically the upshot of this. So, okay, all of that, hopefully that makes sense. So just to recap quickly, because we have still more to go, and I just want to move on from this. So just very quickly, we presented the dual role of the Levites, carrying and transporting, as well as singing. And we said that both are 30 to 50. We asked, well, for carrying, I get it, but why singing? We had different answers, and the Rebbe says, actually, for singing... It wasn't 30 to 50. It was only for the musical instruments. And that was because of the degradation of the hands, the dexterity. And we see that even in how, even the Torah says not to be a farmer. And one of the rationales for that is to protect the hands. So clearly the hands were a commodity or not a commodity. Were a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Were a um, prized something. They were very, an asset. an asset, exactly. Okay, now, now. So, in fact, they took out insurance. The Levites used to take out insurance on their hands. I'm kidding. Now, let's jump into, maybe they did, I don't know. Let's jump into the final stage of this, which is beautiful. Because now we're going to get into some personal application of all of this into our lives. For you and I, what does this mean? I'm going to share my screen with you. Let's jump back into some more texts. The text I'm going to share with you is coming from the Mishnah. The Mishnah asks a very simple question or addresses a very simple question. So we know that the Levites sang and played music. What were they singing? What were they singing? Were they singing um, pop, hard rock? Were they singing reggae? Were they singing... What, what were they singing exactly? So take a look at what the Mishnah says in... In, um, in Tractate Tamid, which speaks about the, the temple. Take a look. I'm going to read this one text then. The following are the psalms. They used to sing psalms. The following are the psalms that were chanted by the Levites in the temple. On the first day, another Sunday. First day is Sunday. On Sunday, they used to say, the earth, the, the, they used to sing the psalm that begins, the earth is God's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Yeah, it's a longer psalm, and that's an English translation. It makes sense in the original. On the second day, on Monday, they used to say and sing, Great is God and highly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Okay, on day three, which is Tuesday, they would say, God stands in the congregation of God. In the midst of the judges, he judges. On day four, Wednesday, hey, today, what would they sing in the temple back in the day? O Lord, God to whom vengeance belongs, God to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. On day five, which is Thursday, they used to say, sing aloud unto God our strength, shout unto the God of Jacob. On the sixth day, they used to say, God reigns, he is clothed in majesty, God is clothed, he has girded himself with strength. And on Shabbat, day seven, on Shabbat, on Saturday, they used to say, a psalm, a song for the Shabbat day, Mizmer Shir, Leyom HaShabbat. That is the daily song that they were singing every day, had a different song, and they sang the song of the day. Now, where did the tunes come from? You might be wondering, well, we know the words, just look up the psalms, but where, and, and I know there's no, there should be footnotes with sources so you know which psalm it is, but just open up a prayer book or Google Siddur prayer book and you'll find every day which 
prayer, because we do it today also, which I'm going to speak to uh, about um, in, in just a few minutes. But what tunes did they use? What was the music? Who composed the music? Look at text 11. You're going to love this. The Ragachover, Rabbi Yosef of Ragachov, the great, brilliant Ragachov Ragon, who gave the Rebbe Smicha, by the way. He is one of the ones that gave the Lubavitch Rebbe Smicha. The, the Ragachov Ragon, and we know this because we literally have the correspondence, the letters back and forth between them. The Ragachov writes the following, text 11. Moses was a Levite himself. Right? And he personally instructed the Levites how to sing. Who taught the Levites how to sing? Moses. This then is what it means that they were instructed by the voice of Moses, namely, with, part, with particular pleasant chants so as to vocally express the music for the primary musical service in the temple was singing. In other words, they were instructed in their musical efforts by Moses himself who taught them how to sing and how to chant and how to do it. And that came from Moses, who we assume got it from God at Sinai. And we have this also from the Vilna Gon. The Vilna Gon says a similar, the great uh, genius of Vilna also says this. Take a look at text 12. The Vilna Gon praised the wisdom of music greatly. In general, he was, he was big into music. He used to say, the Vilna Gon did, that most explanations of the Torah, secrets of the songs of the Levites and secrets of the Zohar cannot be comprehended without it. Look at that. You cannot understand the secrets of Torah without music. That's a powerful statement right there. The Vilna Gon was saying that you can't really study Torah without some sort of music. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. That means you're supposed to be singing to yourself as you're studying or playing music in the background. I'm not sure exactly what he's, what he's trying to say here, but he's clearly saying that, and I can't tell you the practical application of it, but he's clearly saying that music is what opens the heart, opens the mind, and allows one to tap into the secrets. One can, listen to this, one can revive the dead with its secrets, with the secrets of music, which are, oh, sorry, with its secrets, which are concealed in the Torah. He used to say that numerous songs and numerous rhythms were brought down from Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, by Moses, our teacher, and the other songs are mere hybrids. Look at that, right? So the core of music came from Moses at Sinai, and everything else is derivative, is coming from that. And I'm assuming it was all in minor. I'm joking. That's an that's a inside Kiddush, uh, Kiddush joke. You have to come to the Kiddush to find that out. So here's the point. The, the songs are coming from Moses, and everything else is a mere hybrid, is a derivative of that. What do we see? The power of music. The power of music. Take a look at this. The Alter Rebbe writes, text 13. The Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, writes in his Torah R. He writes something beautiful. The Levite's music was an expression of their intense desire to be subsumed in the godly reality. In other words, their music expressed their devotion to God. The Levites had no other passion or desire, focusing their love exclusively to God. This incredible passion was expressed in music and song, as it is well known that music is an expression of the heart. Again, extolling the value and the virtue and the beauty and the soulfulness of music. So... Let's understand how this worked. Because music is soulfulness. How did it work in the temple of old? This text will blow you away. Text 14. Take a look at this one. This is from Rabbi Chaim Eliezer Spira. And he quotes the Tzadik of Tzans. Look at this. I heard from my saintly grandfather in the name of the renowned Tzadik of Tzans, the Divrei Chaim, Rabbi Chaim Habersham, the following tradition. Listen to this. 
When a person would bring a sacrifice in the temple, he would bring it to the Kohen, to the priest, who would then ask him, what sin is this sacrifice for? The offender would relate his sin amid much, much bitterness and remorse, to which the Kohen would respond, Oi, how did you make such a... Oi, all right. Oi, how did you make... I guess they were saying Oi uh, 2,000 years ago. How did you... Or 3,000 years ago. How did you make such a terrible blunder before God who fills the entire universe? And other such words of rebuke. The Kohen would then... He would then give a signal. He would then indicate to the Levite standing on the stage on the Dukhan to start up tearful, stirring music. Basically, he would be encouraging the fellow to remorse while queuing up the band to play music that was very evocative of sad emotion, tearful emotion. As the offender would place his hands on the sacrifice and confess his sin, he would say, I have sinned with such and such an offense. I am now full of remorse and here's my atonement. He would be roused with such emotion, bursting into remorseful tears. And part of that was the, 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 the occasion, the context, but part of that was the music. The music that was accompanying, he would strike up the band for this guy so that he would really feel what he did was wrong. He would be moved to remorseful tears. Now look at this. When the Kohen would see that a person, see the person's heart just about the, at, the, at the breaking point, he would indicate to the Levites once again to begin playing joyous music to revive his spirit. Immediately thereafter, immediately thereafter, they would offer up the sacrifice, thus the sinner was duly atoned. So first, very heart-wrenching or gut-wrenching or like sad or, or um, emotionally heavy music. And then when the fellow was at the breaking point, so but he had confessed his sins for this sacrifice, uh, uh, in the context of the sacrifice, they would play joyous music and he would go into the experience with the, with the sense of, you know, God will accept my, my atonement. God will accept my, um, my, um, uh, my tshuva, my, my repentance, and grant me atonement. And thus, there was a positive and an upbeat melody. So that is how, so again, so what we've done is we've explained the context of the Levites' music and what they would say each day in the temple and how powerful that is and how powerful music is and how the songs and melodies came from Moses at Sinai and, and how it's a secret to opening up the heart and how even in the temple it opened up and, and, and revealed these various emotions as part of the service in the temple. Now here is the modern, and, and we're going to end in just a minute. Here's the modern application. Every single day, we recite as a part of the prayers, different prayer liturgies do it in different places. But either way, at some point in the, in the, in the daily prayers, in the morning prayers, we recite the Shir Shel Yom, which is the song of the day. Yes, we say, we don't necessarily sing, but we say the Psalms that the Levites would sing on that respective day. Sunday's song, Monday's song, Tuesday's, Wednesday's, Thursday's, Friday's, Shabbat. We say the words of the psalm that the Levites would sing. Take a look. The custom of reciting a different psalm each day of the week originated in the temple and a source the Masechet Sofrim. Thus, the people assumed the custom of reciting the psalms at their appropriate time. In other words, after the temple was destroyed, you and I now do it. So the Levites don't do it in the temple. There's no temple. But you and I, everybody, every morning, in the morning prayer, we can say the daily song. The Mishnah describes the psalms that were chanted by the Levites each day during the service. For anyone who recited the appropriate verse at the appropriate time, it was, it was, it, it was as if they built a new altar and offered a sacrifice upon it. So when we say it, it's like we're offering a sacrifice at that moment. And that's a beautiful thing. Here's 
the takeaway that the Rebbe gives. Because really what we see here is that every day has a song. Every day has a unique song. It's not the same song every day. Sunday has a song and Monday has a song and it's not the same. Sunday has one song and Monday has a different song. And the Rebbe draws a powerful lesson from this and this is how I want to conclude the class. The lesson is that every day has its song. And every day is a unique day. And no, no, today is not yesterday, and today is not tomorrow either. Every day has its power, every day has its soul, every day is like, just like no two people are alike, no two days are alike. Right? Every day is unique, unless we think that time is just one continuous movement, and it's all the same, and we wake up one day it's Sunday, and before we know it, it's Friday, and then it's Shabbos, and then it's Wednesday again, and the days slip out in front of us, and it's like, whoa, that week went really fast, and we lose track of days. The Torah tells us, be a Levite. Be a Levite and sing each day, and each day make it a unique song. Every day play that music, sing that song. Don't let this day go to waste. This day has beautiful opportunity. This day has a soul and a spirit and life. God forbid we treat it like just one of many days that are just simply anonymous. Our job is to value each day, to value time. Shir Shal Yom every day has its unique melody, has its unique song. I want to read this text from the Rebbe. The Rebbe writes, this is text 16a, inasmuch as everything in this world was created to express God's glory, there must be purpose and intent as to why this particular thing was created. Namely, as our sages expressed, everything God created in this world was created for His honor. In other words, in the sense that all matter increased God's glory. There's a remarkable idea at play here. It's not just that a particular item can be useful in the sense that it can facilitate another creature to display God's glory. It is much more than that. The purpose of every single creature is to express God's glory. As our sages said, in other words, when looking at any specific creation, it directly expressed God's glory, not only as something that facilitates something or someone else to increase God's glory. In other words, a day is not just a facilitator. A day is holy unto itself. And the Rebbe concludes, the same is true with regard to the very concept of time itself. Every day we do our work, namely every day has its own unique mission. That's the key word, own unique mission. That's specific to that day. This idea is highlighted by the daily song recited in the morning prayers called the song of the day. Song du jour. Conventionally, it's named such because it's the song the Levites would sing in the temple on that day. We replicate that in our prayers. But there's another more spiritual explanation. It's the song of the day itself. It's not the song of the day that the Levites used to do. It's the song of today. Today has a song. In other words, this particular day expresses God's glory through the specific character of that day. Every day has a soul. Every day has its unique, its unique contribution. Adam doeg al damav, ve'ene doeg al yamav. Damav enam ozrim, ve'yamav enam chozrim. It says in the books, people worry about their money, but they don't worry about their time. But money doesn't help, and time doesn't come back. Right? Adam doeg, a person is worried al damav on his money. Ve'ene doeg al yamav, but takes for granted more days, more days, more days. However, damav, enam ozrim, money doesn't help ultimately. V'yamav, but days, enam chozrim, do not come back. We should treat time at least 
as precious as our money, but really much more so. Time, sorry, money is replaceable, time is not. Every day has a soul, every day has a potential, every day has an energy. And if that day goes to waste, God forbid, that's a lost potential. We're not focusing on the negative, we're focusing on the positive, right? It's not about missed opportunities, it's about today's opportunity. Every morning we should wake up. We should say, Moda'ani, thank you, Hashem, for giving me a soul, for allowing me to wake up today. We, don't, we cannot take that for granted. Thank God I am here today. And I know that if I'm here today, and today is here for me, I know there's something I need to accomplish. And I'm not going to let today go by as just another day of many. I know that today has a song. Today is a song that I need to play and not let it go to waste. May we, may we indeed live up to this beautiful message, this beautiful charge of the Rebbe to infuse each day with meaning, but even more than that, to reveal the tune, the unique mission of each day. One final point, and this is uh, what I said before to Adina Malka, I promise I will get back to it. One quick point, give me 30 seconds. The Levites had two roles, schlepping and singing. Singing is glorious, schlepping is not always glorious. But you know what? When you know that you're schlepping, you know what you're, when you know you're carrying a mishka in a temple, then you can sing even while you're carrying. Even while you're carrying. Right? You asked if you, they sang while they were carrying. I think you asked that. I don't remember if you did. But if you didn't, either way, just we can nod and pretend that you did. Either way, the point is that even if they didn't physically sing, their hearts were alive with a certain spirit and a buoyancy. Because knowing why we do something can make it not only bearable, but can make it meaningful and can make it beautiful. May all of our burdens be revealed to be tremendous gifts, like the famous parable that I've told many times before about a father and a son who are walking down a mountain and they see a man coming up the mountain. He's carrying a heavy load. And, oh, he's fetching and ecking and becking. And the young boy says to the man, what's going on? He says, oh, I am schlepping up coal from the bottom of the mountain to the top. Such a pain. He says, oh, I hear you. Sorry. They keep on going down the mountain. There's another guy comes up. He's carrying a same, the same heavy package, but he's running and he's laughing. And he says, the young boy says to him, what are you, what's going on? Why are you so happy? He says, I just found a treasure and I'm carrying it up to my house. So it's the same weight. The question is, is it a burden or is it a treasure? And who decides that? That's us. That's where subject, subjective understanding comes in. How do we look at responsibility in life? Is it a burden or is it a gift that we decide? Let's decide that the burden is a gift which will make it easier to carry. And when it's easier to carry, we'll sing. And when we sing, will reveal the purpose of each and every day. Thank you very much for joining me today for Torah Studies. I hope the message resonated with you. Don't forget to sing each and every day. And don't forget to sing through your burdens, to transform the burden into a gift. All right, that's it for tonight. Um, a few quick announcements. Number one, tomorrow night, we do not have Tanya study because we actually finished Tanya. We're gonna launch a new, a new Thursday course at some point soon, but tomorrow night we have our book club. So join us for the book club. 
Um, if you don't, if you're not part of the book club and you didn't read the book, don't worry. Join us anyway. Take a look on our website, IntownJewishAcademy.org, and you can jump in on a discussion about a book and learn about a book and be part of it and read the cliff notes at some point. So that's that. That's tomorrow night. Next Thursday is going to be Rosh Chodesh Society, but before that, this Sunday night, we have Jewish Summer Cinema. Say that three times fast. Jewish Summer, Jewish Summer Cinema. Starting at 7.30, we have great food and great films on our massive 18-foot, brand new, 18-foot screen on the outside, outside of Chabad near the Beltline. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Join us, 7.30 p.m. for lots of fun. The film is called Heading Home. It's a documentary about Team Israel. It's, it's a baseball documentary. You don't need to be a baseball fan to enjoy it. It's about Israel and Jewish pride. It's, I mean, I chose this film a few months ago. Um, it's uh, pretty poignant, I think, given what's going on. And we need to pray for Israel. Um, but it's about, it's about Jews and baseball and Israel and Jewish pride and Israeli pride. So join us for that. 7.30 p.m. Sunday night. Don't forget to sign up. Register in Town Jewish Academy dot org slash cinema. Also Monday night, this coming Monday night, we have our Hebrew course. This is a Hebrew reading course, so join us. If you've never learned how to read Hebrew and you want to learn, or if you're a little bit rusty, you want to brush up and get 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 a little bit more fluent. It's all about the fundamentals. Um, it's like baseball, right? Even the professionals, you know what they do before the game? You know what they do? I've been there. You know what they do, right? What do they take BP, batting practice. Some guy throws it really slow, relatively slow, and they knock it out of the park. They need that. They don't know how to hit a ball. Of course they know how to hit a ball. But it's the fundamentals. It's the practice. So even if you know how to read Hebrew, but you want to get faster, join us for the Hebrew course starting Monday night. Register again in case you're wondering what the website is. IntownJewishAcademy.org. All right. Thank you very much for joining. Sorry? What time Monday night? Oh, good. Monday night, I think it's 8 o'clock. I think. I'm pretty sure. We would have to check in town Jewish Academy, but I'm pretty sure it's 8 o'clock. I think so. Um, all right, so join us for that. If you are signed up for the course already, then you have a kit, a Hebrew reading kit that's already on its way to you. It's arriving in the next few days. If you're not yet signed up, get it in tonight or tomorrow morning, and I'll put in the order, and you'll get it, please God, by Monday. It's two-day FedEx. So boom, we'll get it going and you'll get it and you'll have everything on time. So join us for that Monday night, Sunday night, reversing time a little bit, right? So Monday is the Hebrew course. The day before that is the cinema. A few days before that is the book club. Yeah, and all good stuff. All right, it's great to see everybody. Steve, Ray, David, and Yona, and Adina Malka, and Donna, and Mike, and Sarah. Let's make a quick comment about tonight's lesson. Sure. Um, so my favorite Mishnah is... Uh, um, which we didn't touch on today, and it's no criticism, but it applies to what you were talking about, is Perfect. I love that. Translate, translate. Prayer without a song is like a body without a soul. Beautiful, beautiful. And, yeah, and, 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 you know, I've studied this, obviously, I've studied this extensively in my entire life, but um, according to, to Abraham T. Idelson, who was considered by everyone, really, anybody who's anybody in music, Jewish musical circles, is the authority on Jewish music. 
And, and, and one of the reasons that the Levites were not allowed to sing until age 30 in the temple was because they spent from the time of like 18 or 20 to 30 in training that the work was so sacred and they had to have such incredible training no matter how good they were uh, that this was such a holy work that you couldn't just even though you had a great voice and a great talent you had to train to the satisfaction of whoever was the you know the, the head of the Le Levitic choir to be able to get in there and beautiful get in there early beautiful there, there was no I, I mean there's no you know even though you're great talent which is kind of funny because we don't do that today obviously and I, you know I wrote a couple of those those little things what about a guy like it's like Perlman what a guy you know uh, right uh, so so the fact is they had the very strict rules because this was so sacred to them beautiful and I think people today don't understand how sacred this was yeah I would agree with you that we take I kind of live that kind of life maybe to an over you know and I get criticized all the time to being like over the top of this kind of stuff I think there's something powerful about that, about how, how important the music was. All right, good, good, good. I'm going to jump off. It's great to see you guys, Steve and Ray and David and Yona and Adina Malka and Donna and Mike and Sara and Ben and Mom. Good to see you and Leah. Good to see you and Rosita. Good to see you and Donna and Fred and Susan and Richard and David and Dr. Maxi and Joy and Steve and Sandrine. It's great to see you all. Have a wonderful evening. Lila Tov. And make every day. Musical. We'll see you guys.